Welcome to this edition of Scripps Talks. Today I have Professor Jatin Srivastava, who's one of my colleagues in the School of Journalism. Jatin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Jatin, I've noticed on Twitter you've been quite active in calling attention to some of the work that our alumni are doing covering COVID-19 and I really, uh, I really appreciate that you are giving them a shout out. How are you finding those stories? I have been pretty actively involved with the graduate program. I've known graduate students for the last 10 years. Uh, I've worked with them. Even after they leave the school, I've been in touch with many of them. In Twitter, I found a platform uh, with which you could actually connect with people in a very low involvement manner. I knew these graduate students, I followed many of them, and when they did, uh, you know, something that was relevant, and many of them did uh, the stories, uh, you know, related to the pandemic, you know, I just uh, thought it was a good way to track them and to let our community in scripts know what they are doing. So, for example, with uh, Sagar Aptre, who graduated, I think, somewhere around 2012, 13, somewhere on that time, I served on his thesis committee. You know, I've been in touch with him when we organized some conferences in India. I met him. He took part in the in the conference. He has been in touch with me regarding a lot of other academic stuff. So when he published this article in uh, in Indian Express, one of the most reputed English dailies in India, and posted it on Twitter, I just saw it and I thought that it would be a good uh, thing to share it. And then once I started noticing it, I started noticing that uh, Kaito Posova, who was my uh, master's advisee, uh, I, I was the chair of uh, his master's thesis, and he's currently working uh, in Port Wayne, Indiana, as a television reporter. I noticed that he was doing stories on coronavirus, the spread, and how the you know the local schools and the local community and the local government is responding to it. I took notice of it. I shared it. And I, I think Twitter or Twitter algorithms probably played a role too because I was not very well aware of David Lee's work and he's uh, publishing, he's reporting for uh, South Morning China Post uh, from Asia. It's from South Korea. One day I just got recommended one of his pieces and, uh, and that's how I found David. Then I got onto South China Morning Post website and I looked at all the work he has done, and I found that he has done some very, some pretty good work. He has been tracking the spread of coronavirus, the responses of society, and all those things. Yes, I've been in touch with them, and so it has been easier to find them and to know about them. Twitter has been very helpful in being in touch with people, especially past graduate students, in a very low involvement manner. And I would say that the recommendation algorithms have actually been uh, very instrumental in you know, making me aware of the work they are doing. Well, it's funny how these networks work because uh, when you call attention to some of their work, uh, it, it helps me find their work as well. And I have a podcast with David Lee um, scheduled to be released probably in the next 24 hours based on your recommendation. So thank you very much. Now, you've talked about some of the former graduate students, but you also work closely with our current graduate students. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how COVID-19 and all of the different changes that we've had to put in place, how has that affected our students and your ability to work with our current graduate students? 
this pandemic and the measures implemented by governments they become in themselves a very interesting study in how you know how we have done things in past just by contrast this is a very new world we are trying to work with and to work in i remember that on uh, between 5th to 8th of march i was in oklahoma at agnc midwinter conference it is a conference where you see a really good number of graduate students present their work you know take part in uh, different kind of activities so for example for my division from the chair of the international communication division at agnc we had some panels where graduate students were panelists so i was interacting with graduate students you know and it was very interesting just around that time we also started realizing that that covid-19 was is going to be a serious thing because remember in united states the realization came much later than uh, many other parts of the world so on 6th or 7th you know when the thing started getting a bit serious and you know and me and you know many of our graduate students all of the all of uh, you know all of these people were looking for hand sanitizers in norman oklahoma and we couldn't find any and i think then it started dawning upon us how serious the situation was or how serious it is going to be then we came back to the spring break at our university and after that i think first we went for you know for first the first announcement was that we will just go online from 16th of or 17th of march so month the monday after uh, after the spring break then the spring break increased till 23rd then the the resumption of classes that date was pushed back and everything went online for the whole semester a lot of things happened really really fast now for graduate students one of the things or one of their next milestones was the agmc main conference because traditionally the system has been that people present people present their work in progress at agmc midwinter and then they can present the same work they can complete the same manuscript and uh, submit it to uh, agmc annual conference the deadline for which is generally uh, you know 31st march or 1st april this year the deadline was moved further to 9th of april but graduate students when they came back they had to face a lot of challenges so one thing was that you know a good number of them teach they work as uh, you know teaching assistants or research assistants so those who were teaching they had to move their courses online they had to make arrangements for just for surviving you know like uh, getting groceries and making all the other arrangements talking with their families because remember for most graduate students wherever their families are things are happening simultaneously you know if we are in the lockdown Uh, someone in india is in lockdown or someone in europe in most parts of europe is in lockdown too a lot of very disruptive things were happening and i think that kind of uh, disrupted the schedules uh, very significantly i had graduate students who were working with me on an independent study and the idea was that they will work on finishing the study and submit it to agmc but with all these disruptions they couldn't do it even after agmc moved to extended extracts because extended abstracts required that uh, the submitters should have finished at least 75% of their work and it required them to include their findings in some manner which was just uh, something that just didn't happen so i think for graduate students the load of these disruptions 
was probably much higher than many of the faculty members who have a bit more support in terms of technology and access to university resources. Besides that, graduate students also have many other worries. They are working on their thesis or dissertation. There are students whose funding, uh, you know, so for example, at Ohio University, we give three years of funding for PhD students and two years of funding for master's students. Now for, uh, for PhD, many of the students, their funding is going to end this year or next year this time uh, during the lockdown, and we don't know how long the lockdown is going to be, is probably going to affect the pace at which they are working on their dissertations and their other research work. So that is causing a lot of anxiety. Similarly, students who wanted to collect data in person through experimental methods, through surveys, through interviews, face-to-face interviews or focus groups, a lot of them are finding that it's just not going to happen. The IRB has sent a message two or three weeks ago where they talked about you know stopping all data collection that involves human interaction or face-to-face interaction. So all those things are happening at the same time. The research process gets slowed down, access to data, access to libraries, access to resources slows down a bit. And then there is always this thing in the back of their minds that the funding is going to end within a year or two. So I think there is a sense of quiet panic, if I get that right, a certain degree of helplessness. Some students are feeling a bit, uh, let's say, uh, out of sorts, a bit depressed. So yes, it's a very different time. Though graduate students uh, have actually been used to a pretty hectic schedule and you know, a lot of work, the lockdown of this period is posing some very serious uh, new challenges. And I think there are some solutions which schools can provide in terms of funding or working conditions and so on. But those are the things which are going to take time. It's very similar to the situation where many of our undergraduate students, you know, who were asked not to come back to uh, to the campus after spring break, found that all their money in their, you know, that they paid for their dorms and the, uh, you know, and food and the dining halls were blocked. And it is going to take some time. Though this money would come back to them, it is going to take some time for the money to come back. So I think these kind of disruptions and delays which are happening due to procedural issues, are also adding to uncertainty in the lives of uh, graduate students as well as undergraduate students. I think the work that you're doing with graduate students is important for them to understand that they have faculty members who are mindful of the challenges that they face. Because I think sometimes when we're all faced with our own challenges, it's easy to lose track of what other people are facing. I really appreciate what you're doing for them. I'd like to ask you to reflect a little bit on any research ideas that might be coming out of this time period. Obviously, this is going to be a very, very heavily studied period of human history from a sociological standpoint, anthropological standpoint, communication standpoint, from so many, many different standpoints. Have you begun thinking a little bit about research questions that might be asked? Yes, we have talked about uh, things, uh, me and uh, a few graduate students, uh, but we are very aware of the limitations also. 
you know that uh, collecting data from human respondents is going to be difficult uh, collecting experimental data is probably going to be uh, uh, difficult you know so uh, the focus has to be on studies where we can study content because a lot of times for public content or study of public content or content that is public the irb process is pretty simple for most of the cases it, you know um, it is exempt so we are seeing a lot of patterns in uh, in media you know so for example you have seen cases of let's say racial discrimination there have been cases where the covid-19 has been uh, you know during its earlier phases uh, mentioned as yellow fever or you know or use some other pejorative uh, that is connected to uh, to Asians uh, you know or uh, people in China that might be an interesting thing to look at now another thing is China was covered and the way Italy was covered you know uh, remember uh, uh, many politicians as well as uh, new sources are connecting it to China many politicians have used the president Trump has used the term Chinese virus uh, you know many times so that's one thing that we understand but uh, in most of the countries uh, in most of the europe and uh, united states even in asia like in india where um, they had where they did not get much cases from china a big part of the you know of the infection came from italy we have rarely seen italy being uh, criticized for their slowness in responding to this issue a lot of times uh, coverage of italian uh, you know efforts have been very sympathetic rarely has there been much in terms of uh, you know fixing accountability and responsibility and holding the government responsible uh, the way you know uh, for the way the virus has spread across the world compared to the way uh, china has been covered in the media so that was uh, something we thought uh, we could look uh, deeper into uh, you know this is uh, an area which is you know rife with questions you know the whole society the whole world is going through something something very dramatic you know so for example uh, if you look at uh, how gender is being represented uh, for example or how gender is being affected you know most of uh, so around the world around 70% of the health workforce consists uh, of women you know does does that come out in the media coverage the coronavirus task force that was created in united states was all men in united states in most categories of health workers women dominate you know women are in majority for i think for registered nurses and nurses they are between 70 to 90% but even with that degree of participation in the health workforce or dominance in some us or some in some sections of of health workforce you don't see a lot of uh, women talking about uh, about the disease in media most of our experts tend to be men so these are different things the issue of class has also uh, come up and it's a very relevant issue actually because this is a disease that has been spread by people who are flying so this is the disease that was not spread by the poor people people who did not have access to flying and it became a big concern because this disease did not care about class boundaries so you have uh, prince charles and boris johnson getting infected in uk you have bolsonaro in brazil so there there was this suspicion that he was 
probably infected Justin Trudeau in Canada, getting quarantined for some time because his wife was found to be infected, Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson. So, you know, so, so the class aspect also becomes a very different thing. How do media covers people who are infected? When the royalty gets infected, how does media cover that compared to when common people get infected or when the poor get infected or let's say, you know, the infected in in China? So these are a lot of questions that are coming up, you know, as we are going through this. And I'm pretty sure that a lot more will keep on emerging as a situation develops. We don't know how long this thing is going to last or how long we are going to be in lockdown, stay-at-home kind of situation. And there are, you know, different opinions about that. But I think the length will also influence how, what kind of work we do and what kind of questions we ask. We have conferences uh, going online. So two of the major journalism conferences, uh, journalism communication conferences have already gone online. So International Communication Association and IEMCR, and AGMC, that is in August, they are saying that the conference will happen, but we are still not very sure about what would be the format of the conference. So as we go through this, the academic world is pretty disrupted at this point of time. The systems which we use to conduct research in an ethical, organized manner, that, uh, you know, the the, the uh, internal review board, the institutional review boards or the IRB, uh, you know, has slowed down a bit, is pretty disrupted at this point of time too. So a lot of those boundaries will come into force or will play a role as we figure out what we are going to do and how we are going to answer our questions. Some people listening to this podcast won't know exactly what IRB is. They might have heard of it, but they wouldn't necessarily understand it. So maybe you could take two or three minutes and just explain the normal IRB process and then how that's been affected by the virus. Institutional review boards are are these boards, you know, are these offices which review pretty much all the research that is being conducted in the university. A researcher would send a proposal or uh, submit an application explaining what he or she is going to do with the research. So the application will detail the research, will have information about how you're going to collect data, if people are going to be involved and all that. And then the review board office, the people there, they look at your work, they look at the proposal and then they kind of let you know if they meet the ethical guidelines that are set by the universe. So for any research project, especially those that involve human subjects or human participants, they have to go through IRB. You cannot start your research work unless you have received approval from IRB. So IRB becomes a very important part of the research process. Now, if you don't have access to human subjects because of lockdown, because of stay-at-home orders, and because most people in university are trying to work from home, then the research process slows down too. And IRB also has limited number of resources to do what they do, and that is to evaluate and facilitate the prospective research that researchers are proposing. So I think in, in a nutshell, that's what IRB does. And it's very important for, for IRB to be there for the research to 
continue. So if you don't have an IRB approval, you cannot conduct your research. For content analysis, where you are looking at public information, most of those research or most of those projects are exempt because you are using public information. But even then, you have to kind of check with the IRB, uh, you know, if they are, uh, if your project is actually exempt. Is there anything that you would like to uh, to add at this time? Just maybe about even your own situation and how you are, you know, how you are managing to cope and, you know, continue to be productive as a faculty member? These are very different times. As I teach, I do most of my, you know, most of my class activities online. So that was not a very big transition for me. So I had to replace, you know, replace class discussion with other activities. But as, you know, so I did some surveys, talked to my students, and I, as I started doing that, and I, as I started reading about COVID-19, a lot of factors started becoming very salient. So one of the things was the access to internet. In my survey, I asked people if they had broadband internet access, that uh, that is good enough for video conferencing. And I found that around 16, 16 to 17% of my students, so 12 people responded to it, so it was a very small number, were actually said that you know they probably did not have uh, access to uh, that kind of internet you know similarly uh, around most of the class around uh, 60% a bit more than 60 well yeah around 60% said that they wouldn't be able to you know they would act so they, they disagreed or uh, strongly disagreed with the statement where which said that they would prefer a class format that involves video conferencing now as i'm going through all this i'm starting to realize uh, how important access to internet is but it's not only access to internet it also the quality of the internet so uh, you know so for some people video conferencing may be easy to handle but for some people who might be in minority let's say 20 percent of our students uh, video conferencing may not be an easy thing to handle if they are working and they are using, if, if they are at work when you are trying to talk to them, they are probably using, uh, you know, mobile data, which is very expensive in the United States compared to a lot of other countries. So, you know, so I'm very, so as I go through it, and uh, and I think New York Times and Washington Post have actually done, uh, you know, some uh, articles on, on the digital divide and how as students go back home in the campus, they have, you know, access to same kind of system, same kind of internet and all that kind of stuff. But as they go home, they go to very different environments. So those are the things that have become very salient to me. And so I have tried to use, you know, systems or to use, to create systems or to have class activities and assignments in such a manner that even someone with, you know, with a slow internet connection doesn't face much difficulty in their work for the class. So that's one thing. The second thing is social isolation. I miss being with the students. I, I miss meeting our colleagues. But I think students are the main part that, that you start missing. I do understand that our students might also be, if not all, then some, 
may actually be going through a lot of things like anxiety, loneliness. We really don't have a full grasp of how things are happening for them because many of them, uh, you know, in my survey said that they actually were going to look for jobs. But in this time, if they go home, I don't know where they are going to find jobs. I'm looking at the bigger picture where I am very aware that students are going through a very, a very dramatic life event. I was born in 70s, and this is probably the most dramatic time in my life, you know, something that I would remember 20 years from now, if I live that long. So our students are in a very chaotic world. So I'm trying to give them as much space as I can while they are working on their um, on their classworks and assignments. In my Waste, Gender and Class uh, course, I've created a focus on COVID-19 section on uh, our class website. And so I'm uh, putting stories on race and gender and class and how they are reflecting in the happenings related to COVID-19 and how we address them, how we are talking about them and so on. So yes, these are different times. And I think for students, who are mostly not very used to uh, such disruptions, these might have different kind of implications. I appreciate all you're doing. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Let's hope that this comes to a conclusion quickly and we can return back to uh, what we now, you know, talk about the good old days. But this is obviously going to leave a very big footprint on all of our lives. Yes, yes, definitely. Thank you for having me.